Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Texas Hill Country Advisors Weekly Podcast brought to you by the one and only Texas Hill Country Advisors. That would be myself and Mr. Gilbert Pies here in the studio with me. Uh, We usually sometimes have guests on Mondays, but today we thought it was appropriate to talk about the recent collapse of SBB's uh, SVB Financial Group's main subsidiary, SBB, uh, which is Silicon Valley Bank. If you don't know and haven't heard of that, surely you have by the weekend. So they collapsed last Friday, and there's been plenty of conversations had about what's going on with the banking industry here in the U.S., so we wanted to expand upon that. We've had plenty of conversations ourselves today with all kinds of people with uh, with a ranging uh, topics from all over the the map as, as, as you can imagine so and if you know us and you know where we come from you know that we do have a, a background of working um, inside of a banking branch uh, in the financial services industry so we uh, we feel strongly that you know we have some insight into that world and can shine some light on what's going on there so thank you for tuning in with us and let's jump right to it it's uh, right around 445 here in beautiful Kerrville, Texas. So let's get to it. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Next Financial Group, member Fenner Civic, Texas Hill Country Advisors, and not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. This material is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security or other financial instrument. Past performance does not guarantee future performance. All the views expressed are those of Andrew Gay, Gilbert Prize, and Texas Hill Country Advisors, and not those of Next Financial Group. The S&P 500 is a market cap weighted index composed of common stocks of 500 leading companies and leading industries of the U.S. economy, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average is a price weighted index of 30 actively traded blue chip stocks. All right. So I don't I don't think there's a good way to kick this off. I think that we have to do some some background talk just to kind of explain how banks work to really explain what happened last week to SVB or Silicon Valley Bank and then kind of go from there and we can kind of talk about our perspective, some of the stuff that we've read and uh, kept up with since Friday and what has happened there, what happened over the weekend and any new developments as far as today. So um gilbert you want to you want to give that a go you want me to do it i gave it a run this morning when we were doing the lead (laughs) okay all right it's your it's your turn all right fun fun all right awesome well well i think probably the best thing to start off with is is just a little bit of explanation about how the banking regular retail banking works generally uh now now of course this is not an exhaustive exhaustive examination of how it works but let, let me just explain some of the basics first of all when you make a deposit at a bank, they don't have a little drawer with your name on it where they put your money. And then when you come and ask for some of it out, they, they go into your drawer and give it back to you. They don't do that. Every bank that I know of anyway, um, when you make a deposit, they use your deposit to lend out money to other people or other businesses. Now, they do keep a certain small percentage on hand as what they call reserves. They have to. They, they're legally required to keep some money, uh, you know, in reserves for just in case the day you need it. And then they use some of the money, of course, to lend it out. And they operate on what's called the spread, the difference between what they pay you in deposit uh, interest 
and what they're able to lend it out for in loan interest. So if they're borrowing it from you, let's say at 1%, they're paying you 1% on your deposit and they're lending it out at 8%, all right? They're keeping 7% for them as their spread or their profit. Now, is that full 7% their profit? No, they have expenses to pay too. So, you know, whether it's employees or real estate or technology, they're using that those $7 or 7% spread to, to operate from, and they keep a percentage of that at the end, hopefully it's profit. Now, one of the things that they also do with the money when they have um, a large amount of deposits and they're not lending it all out, what they also do is they use that money to purchase investments. Now, if, if you look at the details of some of these um, banks and how they operate, they buy two types of securities. They, they buy investments, two types of investments. One is a, a separate pool of money that they use to operate from on an ongoing basis. And they're, they're not actively using that money to lend out and they're not actively using it to uh, pay back to customers. They're investing the money for their long-term future also. And those are typically securities that they want to hold on to and keep. And so they, they get classified as securities that they intend to hold to maturity. But there's another pile of, of investments that they have, and they call them available for sale. And, and almost every bank, I think, operates this way. These are securities that they have on hand that in the event that they're needed, they could sell those securities and return money to depositors in the form of cash. But because they are securities, they typically will go up and down with, uh, the value of those securities will go up and down with whatever interest rates are doing. So for example, let's say a bank used um, $100 to buy a treasury bond. Now this is not how it really works, but it's an example just so you can you can better understand what they're doing. If they invest that $100 into a treasury bill that's paying 2% for 10 years, all right, well, they're going to keep that bond on their books and earn interest from it over a period of time. But if somebody needed that, needs that money back in the form of, the, of a depositor that wants their money back because they're moving or closing their account, that bond they can sell and get the money out and give it back to the depositors in the form of, you know, their refund on their on their cash account. Now, because it's a security though, that $100 bond might go up in value. It might go up to $101. It also might drop to $90 or, or $95 or $96, depending on what's happening. But bonds typically go up and down with whatever interest rates are doing. And if SVB Bank bought this bond five years ago when interest rates were very, very low. And all of a sudden now, interest rates have gone very high. That bond is now not worth $100. It might be worth $95. And so if, if SVB is forced to sell that bond at a loss, well, guess what? They have to register that loss on their books as a loss. And so... That, that's kind of what happened with SVB. They didn't run out of money. 
they just got to the point where there were so many people asking for their deposits back that they had to sell a bunch of their securities to give it back to people because they were they were asking for withdrawals and and at some point though they lost a lot of money on those securities that they sold to give people back their money in, in the form of deposit in fact if you i think one of the articles i read this weekend said that it wiped out all of their shareholder equity um, that more than they've made over the past 12 years. And so it, it really, really took a, a toll on them and they really didn't have much of a choice but to shut down and, you know, reorganize. And, and of course, when that happens, the FDIC, or in this case, I think state regulators stepped in first and said, no more, you guys need a new business model. Uh, and then, of course, the FDIC, because they are an FDIC-insured bank, steps in and helps them out and make sure that depositors do get their money back. And then, of course, the I think earlier today, Andrew, if I'm not mistaken, the, um, uh, the, the FDIC also stepped in and said, hey, listen, if you had an uninsured deposit here, anything above $250,000 is technically not insured, um, we will make you whole so that you don't have any risk to losing any of your cash. It's, it's really basic business. Um, the government really doesn't want you and me and everybody else in the world to fear that they're not going to be able to get their money out of their bank. And the last thing they want is for you to run out and panic and try to get your money out of your bank because there's no bank, I think, that has enough cash to pay any all of their depositors all at once. That is, right. It just doesn't happen because they would have to uh, limit withdrawals and and at some point they would probably even all say hey wait a minute there's no way we can get all this money back unless we uh, recall all of our loans and everybody that owes us money pays us back there's just no way so i think really some of the media has not been very helpful to the coverage um there, there's a lot of stories that i've read that said well you know the fdic is bailing the bank out and the fdic is 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 going overboard and well you know it's it's only going overboard if you're the one that that's uh not losing any money in this deal uh and and is the sdic really bailing the bank out no they closed it down i mean they the the investors in that bank um they got zero back so if you were a stockholder or a shareholder of that bank um you're 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 done um there, there's nothing there but if you're a customer you know, I, for rightfully so, you expect to get your deposit back. And you will at some point. Um, the, the question is, who's going to be the new bank that buys it? Uh, and, and what's it going to look like? And certainly they're going to have a probably a new business model. Yeah, I think that was a was a good it was a good go at it. Thank so you. Thank you. I think, you know, if I had to oversimplify that, I would just say the bank takes in deposits. They turn around and make investments on the back end, whether that's loans or actually purchasing investments. And in this case, in SVB's case, uh, they were they were purchasing um, or had on their balance sheet a lot of fixed income or bond type investments, along with a sleeve of their cash reserves that they have to keep available for customers demanding their deposits back. And because of the panic that set in, which is, you know, also classified as a bank run when all those depositors come back and try to withdraw their money at once that little sleeve of cash reserves that they actually have in cash runs out fairly quickly and then they're forced to sell 
their investments on the back end. And in this case, because of the fast rate of interest interest rate hikes from the Fed last year, uh, the bonds that they were holding went down in value because there's an inverse relationship there between interest rates and the face value of those bonds. And that forced them to lock in those losses for those investments. And they couldn't meet the demand of the depositors coming to their door saying, we want to withdraw our money, withdraw our money. They had already burned through their reserves, then sold off at big losses, these investments that they had on the back end, which then caused them to basically be insolvent. And that's when the regulators stepped in. And that's typically the pattern that you would see when a bank becomes insolvent is something to that tune of where they th there is some kind of demand that outstrips what they have available to pay depositors um because like gilbert was saying they're not actually they're not held to the fire to hold the every dollar that a depositor has available to that depositor at the moment they are they are required to carry reserves and that's a certain percentage of those deposits and as long as there's not a run on the bank that seems to work out okay whatever their model may be right so in svb's case that's exactly what happened was there was this panic that set in wildfire it spread like wildfire and people were knocking on their door withdrawing all their money and that caused them to be insolvent so yeah and, and the other thing you have to remember too is that who was withdrawing money from sv svb bank it wasn't mom and pop shops it wasn't you and me joe customer over there withdrawing that's money cause... right because i highly doubt anybody watching this right now or that will see this video had an had an account there right, right? right. you, you it, don't have an account there i don't have an account there it's it's not you know joe blow over there withdrawing his ten thousand dollars to buy a car or anything like that these are are a lot of their clientele were technology startups a lot of their clientele were cryptocurrency people involved in that area of the, the world. Um, these were a lot of relatively large type of companies that once they got wind of, of some issues, quote unquote issues, um, the news spread between them and right. SVB was getting withdrawal requests for hundreds of millions of dollars a day. Uh, there was no way they could keep up with it. And so re remember, it's not you and me, you know, Joe customer that, that caused this problem. It, it was a lot of these technology startups and, and there, there's nothing wrong with technology startups wanting their money back. It's just that when they all want it back all at once in this one institution, that's what's causing serious problems. And the other thing too is re remember too that, um, uh, the, the FDIC has a vested interest in making sure that you and me are comfortable with our banking system. Because if, if, if they if they are not careful uh, and and don't do enough to make people feel at ease, then these types of things can can spread pretty quickly. And, and it's simply just the lack of confidence in what's going on. And, and I don't really think there's a reason for any of us to have a lack of confidence in what's going on. Um, so that, yeah. that's my two cents worth on that. Well, and I think, OK, so now that we outline kind of what how that all mechanically happen let's talk about what has happened since then now typically and gilbert can speak to this he's been a, an advisor for longer than myself both of us have been in the serving the texas hill country area and financial services for over 30 years combined but 
Gilbert was around as an advisor in 08 that saw a lot of banks that actually collapsed and the FDIC had to step in uh, because they were insolvent and pay the depositors back their money. And from my understanding, they typically come in on a Friday, right, mm -hmm. to work the deal over the weekend so that by Monday they're prepared to do something, take some kind of action to make depositors whole, at least up to the insured amounts. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Now, now one other thing I'll mention about that is a lot of people will say that the, you know, where was the FDIC in advance of all this problem? Where was the Treasury? Where was the, uh, you know, the Biden administration in advance of all this stuff? Well, you, you have to remember that the FDIC is very aware who uh, is having trouble. Okay, they, they already know what banks have issues. Now, now, frankly, you and me can find out a lot of the same information that the FDIC has access to using uh, publicly available disclosures that every bank has to put out uh, about their balance sheet and their assets and what they're doing and how they're doing it. It's all publicly available. The, the only difference, though, is that you and me as individuals really don't have the time to monkey with that stuff. It's the FDIC that spends a lot of time analyzing banks and what they're doing and how they're doing. They have a list, I'm sure, of who could be a problem child. And the, the and, and for obvious reasons, they don't tell you and me who that is, and they don't publish a list about what bank is, is having some difficulties. Naturally, I, I'm sure you can understand why. If they published a list of saying, hey, these are the top 20 problem banks that we've got in our system right now. Guess what would happen immediately once they publish that list? Everybody that does business with those banks would immediately go to that bank and withdraw their money. And it the withdrawals then become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And all of the banks on that list would almost instantly go insolvent. And the FDIC would then be stuck with all those deposits and liabilities. And they really don't want that because that's not what they're in the business for. Um, so they know. And so typically what happens when a bank becomes insolvent, the FDIC gives notice to the bank uh, management. They conduct an auction of the bank, their assets and their liabilities in advance of shutting them down so that when they shut them down on a Friday, they know that on Monday they can open up the banks the next business day and they're under new management. Everything moves along hunky-dory because that's what happened in 08. In 08, 09, when we had a, a huge swath of banking failures, the FDIC would come in on a Friday, shut these banks down. They would have conducted a auction of the bank over the weekend or, or just prior to shutting them down. And then by Monday, the bank would the banks would be reopened all the depositors would get their money back. Um, they could either stay with that new bank or in the case of uh, my, my experience with a lot of these banks that got shut down were through brokered CDs. These are, are deposits that are made, um, uh, CDs that are sold through brokerage firms. And, and uh, as an advisor, we offered those type of products. And when a bank would get shut down and we had a CD through one of these banks that got shut down on Monday, we would on Friday we would get a notice that they got shut down, and on Monday, the FDIC would make a deposit into people's uh, brokerage accounts for the CD deposit they had, for the full amount of the 
principal of the CD and whatever interest they were due to the day they got shut down. You were out. They were done. Um, and, and they just moved on down the road. So nobody lost any money, even in 08 and 09. Plus, you know, right now the Fed's talking about providing a, a what do they call it? A, a, a facility, a loan facility. Yes. Uh, um, yes. To, to help. And that, that was a, and actually that's a great segue. Cause what I wanted to cover is say, okay, so let's talk about now what's happened with that in mind about SVB up until this point. So a couple of things that you mentioned, I wanted to pick up on. One was they, the auction process. So, so first and foremost, they went into uh, the like the auction process, like Gilbert was just talking about. And from my understanding, they still have not uh, been sold officially. Now right. there was an arm of let me see if I can find it. H HSBC, their UK branch or arm bought svb's uk branch or arm of the bank uh for one euro i mean for one british pound i believe wow. at, at almost one dollar but to make it a real transaction but the the silicon valley bank the main subsidiary of svb financial group that's here in california the main one that we're talking about has not been sold yet even over the weekend so i think they're still accepting bids for that so they have not completed that process that one hey andrew maybe you and me should put the bid together maybe they'll take let us buy it for a buck <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what the hell we do with it if that man and i'm sure we would violate all kinds of regulations uh, if we try to do something like that maybe we shouldn't do that. yeah right right just probably not probably not it's, it's a great it's a, it's a nice for, thought for a buck we keep in mind too that when i think typically when the fdic uh conducts an auction I think they're selling not only their assets, but their liabilities too. And I think that's probably the reason why they're having a hard time offloading this thing because that's right. if if you buy the assets, which is great, uh, you you may not like the liabilities. And if you can't put a put your finger on what the liabilities are, I think a lot of at least uh, educated people in this business would say, you know what, if I can't, if I can't really know what those liabilities are, I don't want to touch it. That's right. So, so I think that that might be the reason why they're having so much difficulty auctioning off the whole thing and getting rid of it. The the other thing I wanted to mention too was the actual the what you mentioned was the the facility that they that the the regulators have set up to lend money to the bank to help it through this process. And what is unique about this particular uh, bank collapse or failure or insolvency is that they've actually guaranteed to go ahead and make the depositors whole even above FDIC insured limits. Now, if you know anything about that, it's easy to find information. Uh, you just have to be careful about where you're getting the information from. But, you know, that the standard FDIC limit is up 250000 per social security number, taxpayer identification number per banking institution. So in this case, they created this, the regulators have created this program where they can lend money to the bank to make everybody whole that was that were depositors of SVB um, over and above those limits. Uh, and it goes back to something that Gilbert brought up in the very beginning with some of this explanation about establishing trust and making sure that uh, us as consumers uh, and, the, and the banking clientele that's out there for commercial and regional banks, that we have faith within our banking system. Um, and so because so much of this was actually created by us, the consumers, 
having a, a panic about what was going on and creating the run on the bank. If it wasn't for the run on the bank in the in for SVB's case, that they, they would not have this problem. They would have been able to continue to hold uh, what was what they were holding as far as investments in their loan portfolio portfolios on the back end and not have to cash that in because they wouldn't have ran through their cash reserves so quickly had people not freaked out and gone to cash in or, or demand their deposits back. Yeah, and I, and I would say this too, that this loan facility is not a bailout of SVB. It's not. It's a bailout of the customers of SVB. It's making customers whole. If they were, if the, if the administration was bailing out SVB shareholders, in other words, you were a stockholder or in the management position in that company and they were stepping in and saying, okay, guys, don't worry. We're going to bail you out and give you everything that you need so that you guys don't go broke. Um, That's, that's one thing. And I would not be in favor of that. Um, This is really a, a, this loan facility they're talking about is a bailout of the, and and it's not even really a bailout. It's a, it's making sure that the clients of the SVB bank were made whole. Um, It's, it's a totally different thing than what, they did in, in 2008, 2009. Um, I, I think what they're doing is is the right thing. They're trying to instill some uh, uh, stability in the banking system and prevent this thing from spreading because, you know, you, you had Silvergate uh, go bankrupt a few weeks ago. You had SVB. And then today there was that New York Signature Bank. That was a bit of a problem. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's, you know, a few more that 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 uh, get shake, shaken up a little bit, but at the same time, uh, this might also be another reason why next week when the Feds meet, we're only going up by 25 basis points, not 50. Uh, and, and so there, there's a silver lining in everything, and um, that might be the silver lining for this case. And I think that's a great segue. So let's uh, let's turn our minds towards the rest of this week and what we can expect. Of course, there were a bunch of stocks across the board that were related to the banking sector that were that took a pretty big hit today uh, because of the same thing we were just talking about. As far as the panic and the fear, it goes for investors in those in those companies too. You know, they'll they'll kind of flee out of some of those securities and investments if the the fear kind of continues to spread. But we'll see if the first attempt from the Federal Reserve and regulators has any effect in the treasury and state regulators has any effect on stabilizing uh the issue as far as the banking uh, uh panic that is out there for the banking system so okay so let's let's uh take a quick look at where we started the week as far as the markets go the s p dow jones and nasdaq were all down on the week and had pretty big down weeks um, for last week the nasdaq being the leader there over four and a half percent for the week the s p2 for that matter and the dow jones over four to four point three percent for the week throwing the dow jones industrial average back into negative territory for the year-to-date performance number so the s p still hanging on just shy of one percent positive for the year and the nasdaq has gone from somewhere um i think it was close to what 13 14 percent something think, like I that think it was almost 15 mm-hmm. um, all the way down to about half of that uh, about 6.6% on the year. So um, yeah. not not starting from the strongest position uh, today. And if we zoom over here too to see what we were looking at as far as today's performance, 
um, basically flat on the day across the board, even though the Dow and S&P were technically down, the NASDAQ was technically positive, but not a whole lot of movement there, but a bunch of movement in the bond markets. So if you look down here in the 10-year treasury, you can see here, this thing was up. Uh, look at this move here in the last, you know, this is just a weekly chart. It took a beating today, and that's because investors tend to move money towards safer investments when there's panic or fear in the markets and that's exactly what we saw today in the bond markets a lot of money moved into safer investments into treasuries and you could even make a case to say that possibly some of these people that were moving money out of out of the banking system were potentially putting it into the treasury markets um, as a flight to safety kind of concept there yeah if you, if you look at the 10-year treasury chart for the past uh, year and a half it looks more like an equity chart <laughs> it's crazy. There's so much up and down and and all over the place with that thing. It's it's uh it's it's shocking really sometimes. We typically don't expect huge moves in the 10-year treasury because what you expect and want is relative stability there. But with the rapid increase of interest rates last year, um you know, that's not what what you've had and then of course, you know, this past few days with the SVB um, you, you've seen humongous moves. We were down to what three and a quarter about three weeks ago. Yeah, uh, six weeks ago, and then we had this huge run up above four. Barely, just crested four on and the then, ten year, and now it's back at three and a half. Now it's back at three and a half. That is wild. Um, there, there's tremendous moves right now in the bond market, um, and and I think it's fair to say that if this continues. Um, that's going to put a lot of uh, pressure on the Fed to slow down and at some point soon even stop raising interest rates. I don't know that this will be the key to make them stop raising interest rates. I think it's more inflation data, but it's distinctly possible. And I think, uh, you know, this week, remember, too, when do we have inflation data coming out? Tomorrow uh, morning tomorrow. at 7.30 a.m., an hour before the market opens. Thank God it's an hour before the, the market's actually <laughs> right. open tomorrow, which is good. Yeah, so, so if that inflation data comes out tomorrow, it, you know, it, it'll it'll give us some signals. But I also think, too, that, um, you know, that that's really the bigger story. What's inflation looking like and what's the Fed going to do at their next Fed meeting? And that's going to be on the 22nd. And, and Andrew, you, it's a perfect segue to talk about yeah, you are. You're the interest rate expectations. Segue, segue cue today. It's, you're on point. So, okay. So a couple of things about that. So the expectation has now shifted where 50 basis points or half a percentage uh, rate hike or 0.5% was on the table. Even Jerome Powell in his testimony to Congress at the beginning of last week had even talked about it a little bit as a potential idea. But we think that that is completely off the table now with what happened with SVB this past Friday and the recent uh, fear that's kind of put into the it been in the consumer markets as far as the uh, banking system is concerned. And now if you look at these expectations, these two, there was a blue bar on the right hand side there that was kind of the dominating uh, probability here, just looking at this chart, is not even there anymore. So what this is saying is now there's a 32% chance the market has priced in that the Fed is not going to raise interest rates at all on their March 22nd meeting, and about a 67, 68% chance the market thinks that they're going to raise by 25 basis points or 0.25%. So those expectations wow. have been going all over the place in the last week. Um, the What happened Friday with SVB Financial Group or SVB's uh, financial group subsidiary, SVB, 
is the catalyst in moving these expectations back the other way. But running up to that, to the end of last week, they were going the opposite direction where they mm-hmm. were. the market was thinking the Fed might go a little harder with their interest rate hikes. Wasn't there an 80% chance at one point that yes. they were going to do 50 basis points? It was over 70. That's right. <laughs> that's crazy. Now so that's completely gone. You can see how emotional uh, markets markets can be. So, And then lastly, to your other point that you just brought up, Gilbert. So we mentioned the Fed is meeting on March 22nd. That's the next uh, big day for them. It's slated, and that's, I believe, next week. But tomorrow, an hour before the market opens, we will get... Uh, inflation data for the month of february let's see if i can make the hours there we go. um that's my number that's right so the consensus <laughs> is for right around six to 6.1 we're sitting at 6.4 uh for the month of january so what we're getting is for the month of february but more importantly possibly more importantly is going to be this core inflation number which excludes the volatile food and energy prices uh that are tied to commodity markets global commodity markets so that's a sitting a little bit lower at 5.6% for the month of January. And the expectation is for is for that to barely budge, if anything, come down a tenth of a percent. And if we want to see this a little visually a little bit different, there is the chart from January. So this is the inflation data for January. This is all due out tomorrow for the month of February. So we'll see how we land on that. There were some whisper numbers in the markets today that possibly inflation is going to come in a little hotter than expected, but probably lower than next month. Um, And like Gilbert just mentioned, to tie all this together, depending on what this data says tomorrow, this can really swing the expectations of what the Fed has in store as far as their interest rate hikes at their next March 22nd meeting, uh, depending on if this is hot, way hotter than expected, cooler than expected, or somewhere right in the middle. Um, And even I was going to use a, what's the analogy? Just right. The porridge is just right. But the, we don't want that. We want it to be cooler than expected. We yes. want it to come down below six if, if possible. Um, because this puts the Fed in a really, really tight spot because now they're facing possible potential panic from consumer consumers about the banking industry. And at the same time, they might have this stickier than anticipated inflation that they're still going to have to battle with raising interest rates. Um, so, they they got a, they got their their hands full as far as a, a job that they got to figure out now and, and try to pull off the soft landing and now you know it's gonna it's gonna stem more uh, talks about whether or not we're gonna even whether or not they're gonna be even be able to pull off of soft landing whether we're gonna have a hard landing or we're gonna have no landing um, you know so we'll just we'll have to see how that that ha- plays out after tomorrow morning so by the time we're back on here tomorrow morning uh, to do our market update which we do. During the weekdays, we will have the most up-to-date um, CPI or consumer price index inflation data, headline inflation. So, Yeah, I think this falls in the category of be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. And and we've been calling for a reduction in inflation, a higher unemployment rate, um, uh, and, and just just lower CPI. Well, this might be the catalyst that, that does it. And we, we always, I don't know if y'all heard us say this before but typically what happens is the fed keeps going until they break something that's right i, I don't i was know just if, about to say that <laughs> yeah i don't know if this is what they broke but you know what what happens is they will keep going until they break something and this might be the the breaking something that that uh, is is typical typically talked about when the fed's on an interest rate rising cycle um but we also need to be careful because we, we've said for weeks that we wanted the unemployment rate to go up. 
this might be the catalyst for the unemployment rate to go up. That's but, right. Now, workforce participation did go up too, which is good. Um, but, you know, it, it would be a shame to have a really deep recession just to tame inflation. But um, let, let's hope we don't. Let's hope the Fed is able to engineer a soft landing. And, and, and really, as consumers, we need to really be thoughtful um, and think about what we're doing and why we're doing it. When, when we panic or do things without really um, giving it some thought, we can tend to, you know, cause a lot of problems for ourselves. And uh, SVB, I think, was was a fine example of that. And as I say, be, be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. And you may not like it. Uh, and we may not like what, what what's coming up. But I, I, we still think if I had to put my money on it today, I think um, any recession that we have will be uh, very mild. And I think the Fed's going to be able to engineer a soft landing. Um, but there might be a little bumpy bumpiness before we get to that landing. So turbulent. Maybe. Yeah, a little turbulence. There you go. There, there you go. go. Nobody's going to get killed, but <laughs> it's going to. It might gonna be, be a little, little scary. Yeah, it might be a little bumpy. You better just put your seatbelt on. And if you and if you remember back to even, uh, gosh, we're almost going on a year now. We've been talking about what to expect by the time the Fed gets close to the peak rate, and we do think that they're approaching that. Yes. They're they're definitely closer to the end of the rate hiking cycle than anywhere close to the front. Uh, but we think that the first part of this year, I mean, we've only completed two full months of the calendar year. And we think that the first half of this year is going to be a bumpy ride uh, for financial markets across the board. The Fed's going to continue their fight against inflation, uh, continuing to uh, parse out the narrative around raising interest rates and figure out their path forward. And they're not going to stop uh, until they really get that under control because uh, history will tell them that, you know, they need to focus on their dual mandate, which is inflation at their target rate of 2% and full unemployment and so far the unemployment rate really hasn't budged um but the inflation data is far from two percent i mean we're still at over six percent so um, i think that will do it for us today thank you guys for tuning in and listening don't forget please interact with us share our content it helps other people find our show we're on facebook linkedin and youtube most weekdays that the stock market is open in all places podcasts are possible thank you guys very much and we will see you back here uh we'll be back tomorrow morning with the latest on the inflation data thank you guys so much see you then have a great rest of your monday evening don't break anything <laughs>